Hello and welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a play therapy podcast where we chat about different topics in play therapy, different topics in child therapy, different topics about children generally, but coming at them all from a child-centered perspective. And today on the podcast, I want to chat about the emotional development of the child that happens inside of our playrooms. I think that it's good for us to be aware of what is happening inside of a playroom. Like, what about play and about the experience of child-centered play is helpful for a person in being someone in the world who feels things and thinks things and experiences things and has relationships and you know what about that 50 minutes with us or however long you have a session makes their life more valuable and makes them feel more whole and connects them more deeply to themselves and allows them to be themselves more often and to be assertive more often and to live the lives that they want to live Because what I just named is a lot of different things in terms of our goals or our hopes for a child when we see them in therapy. And it's pretty crazy that a weekly therapy session can have any impact at all on a person. But it's true. It's true. So how does that happen? And today we'll talk about emotional development and specifically how inside of the child-centered space a person is able to develop emotionally. And uh, at this point, it'll be helpful to have an example of someone. So let's go with a child who experiences anger. So you have a little six-year-old boy in your playroom who has a lot of anger in their life, who throws tantrums that don't seem right, like age-appropriate. Like we could say that this six-year-old might be developmentally stuck in the twos and threes somewhere and that this anger comes out you know when they don't get what they want when they're asked to stop doing something really anytime there's a sort of directive and say with most of the six-year-old boys I work with that occurs most frequently with their mothers and with their parents generally you know they're able to handle it a little bit better in the school environment, say, or at a friend's house, say, like, you know, it's pretty rare to find a person who is super angry and aggressive all the time. And, you know, children like that are really not doing very well at all. Um, In fact, they uh, probably had some bad things happen to them or to the people they love. But there are a number of boys I see. Boys in particular, it's, I mean, I don't, gender is so tricky, and um, I don't want to be using some outdated gender binary that is irrelevant and doesn't apply. And then I also want to name that I see a particular thing with individuals who, well, boys. I see a particular thing with boys, and that is this anger piece and this aggression piece 
that is less typical with with girls that I see. It doesn't mean that um, I haven't seen girls who also experience aggression and anger and experience it more frequently at their parents than at other people and who can also be angry in other places besides their homes. I have. But for this particular example, let's use a six-year-old boy. This six-year-old boy gets pretty angry a lot of the time, and that anger shows up at home, like we were saying, and it also shows up in sessions. Now, when the six-year-old boy is at home and they get angry, let's say that their parent often gets more angry than they do and attempts to overpower the child's anger. And that could be for any number of reasons. That could be because... That's just how they interact with people. That if there's an emotion that someone expresses that they don't like, that they try to find a way to overwhelm it so it's not present anymore. Could be some insecurities as a parent that are coming out in that moment. Expectations of children, you know, submitting quickly to things. Could be that they've experienced this child get really angry in the past and are a little scared and like to try to cut it off quick, and their way of cutting it off quick is trying to overpower it immediately. So then at home, what normally happens is the child gets more angry, and the parent gets more angry, and then things escalate to the point of, you know, the child being punished in some way, and usually, eventually getting overpowered because parents have more power in the home than children do, and that's how that goes. You know, that can be done in any number of places, and there can be different, you know, things that happen each time, different levels of escalation. Maybe something occasionally comes in to break up that cycle. Maybe the other parent does that, but that's how it goes down at home. So we have a child who has this anger that they've been struggling with since they were two or three, and still coming up for them now at age six. And in the home, it never gets to just be... The child doesn't get to have a lot of experience with like, okay, I like getting angry and having that angry, having that anger, excuse me, work inside of their family system. Like there's no place for it. They just can't have it. But you can't take anyone's emotions away from them. So that anger continues to grow and grow and grow inside the child. And I don't, you know, I don't particularly care to some degree. Like, how does that start? You know, like, ah, is this child sort of more angry from birth? Or like, oh, like, is this the parent's style of parenting? And then the child just has this buildup of this repressed angry emotion. You know, it's it, it's it's irrelevant to me, really, wanting to name that that pattern is existing there. And that there are two people inside of that pattern. And one person has a lot more power than the other person, which is the parent over the child. So that anger, and anger, right, is uh, more or less can be viewed as being about boundaries, right? You uh, throw anger down and it creates an emotional barrier between you and another person. Uh, When you're feeling angry at someone, you're feeling more distant from them. We can also want to extend our boundaries, like you could want someone to be included on some perspective or information that you have, or you might want them to be loyal to you in some way or do something, or not do something, and become angry about that too. So let's say anger's about boundaries. The child is attempting to create a boundary in the home, and they're not able to do that. It may be very important for them to be able to set that boundary. There are particular people who that child is trying to set that boundary with. They're not trying to set it all the time, with all people. In some ways they are. Like, they have this need to be setting these boundaries for themselves. If they're not able to do it, with their parents. This this child, let's say, you know, does get angry at siblings, friends, other adults 
more often than your average child, right? I mean, they still are kind of tense and, and angry at this point as a person. Well, let's not talk about it in other settings. We've got this child down. Let's bring it to our playroom. Inside of our playroom, let's say a child becomes angry with us. We accept that anger. We don't just accept it. We highlight it. We name it. We give it space and room to breathe and room to just be there. We're not trying to analyze it. We're not trying to really do anything but just name that it exists and that we see it and we accept it. And then the child is able to create that space. Children who are angry with us in session usually do different things with their bodies as well. They could become more tense. They could adopt an intimidating posture. They could try to be violent with us and um, or be violent with us, which is something that we set a limit on. That's not something that we can accept. They might get behind something, like a table, or uh, you know, try to find some place to get some space from you. They may tell you not to talk. They may tie you up with something. They may handcuff you. They may put you in a certain location in the room and draw some kind of a box around you, like a jail or something, and, like, and let you know that you're not allowed to leave that space. Those are all possibilities. Regardless, they're able to make the boundary that they need. They're able to make that boundary however they want it to be. If they don't want us to talk, we don't, then we're not going to talk. If that's a boundary that they need. If they need us to be in a certain place in the room, yeah, we'll, we'll be in that place in the room. And so they get to have witnessed and accepted this emotion that has been coming out of them for years. Years. Like, if they're six years old, let's say over half of their life they've been struggling with this anger thing. But they've never gotten the opportunity to get angry, to make those boundaries, and then to see what the heck is on the other side for themselves, emotionally. And what's on the other side is them without that anger. That boundary's been made. They know in their relationship with us now that they can make that boundary anytime they need to. Anytime they need to and will accept it. Anytime they need space from us, they get it. Anytime they want to have more control, they get it. Anytime things are getting a little too intense, they can stop it. If they're feeling uncomfortable, they can do whatever they need to do to have some space. And when they know that they can have it and it's not going to be a fight, they're not as angry about it. They're just assertive. And what lies beyond that anger is just them being them without carrying this thing around that I might have to make a boundary against anybody at any time. Like I'm ready to get angry at any time or I'm already kind of angry all the time, whatever that tension is. And I get that what's tricky about play therapy is that inside of that process, and that's a real process, by the way, and I say that's a real process, by the way, because we may be the only ones that are holding that process. The child, I don't think, really understands at six years old what took place here. If some version of what took place, and this is maybe a small segment of the child's overall therapy, but a significant segment, is like, yep, they were really angry with me when they would come in. They would set all these kind of boundaries. They wouldn't treat me so well sometimes, but that lessened and they got the space they needed and they became more assertive and then we were able to get to other places inside of them because they're allowed to be more vulnerable now they can they can access more of themselves and they can 
be a person in here without that anger. But they don't know that, right? So they don't know that that's happening. And then that could start happening more outside of sessions. Like, ah, they're just, they're just kind of less tense and they're a little looser. And then maybe you're working with the parents at the same time about anger and boundaries. And their parents are helping, you know, understanding the boundaries a little bit better. And they maybe have some sense, if you can name it, of what's happening inside the playroom, but not really. You're holding all that development by yourself. You're watching it happen. Then it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I get that coping skills are helpful sometimes. If you're a person who, you know, practices deep breathing or does meditation or has some kind of a mantra or a ritual or a routine or you have a, you know, a like a worry thing that you squeeze or something and that's helpful, like, good, good. I mean, I think that is good. I can worry with children, however, who... You know, we could just all the time be trying to help them manage their anger better, giving them this, like, focus on their anger that's like, this is something that you need to control. This is something that you need to experience differently. Try to keep yourself in check. Get back into the, you know, the forward-thinking, reasoning side of your brain and realize you don't have to be as angry, just like re-regulate your body but then we're putting that pressure on children to be able to do that for themselves and a child becomes angry and someone else says to them like from a good place like a teacher or a parent could be like well you know like take some space try some deep breathing go for a walk and like that stuff is helpful in that context because therapeutic work isn't going to happen in that context and all that you know you might just need someone to calm down i do think it's unfortunate when it becomes a focus of our time in the playroom that that process that I described of being angry, setting boundaries, having those boundaries respected and accepted, having that anger named, having the boundaries named, experiencing yourself with the power to make boundaries and be angry when you need to be, and then having space to access other emotions outside of that anger is so valuable. It's so valuable. And, you know, it's not like... You know, if deep breathing solved all our problems, gosh, the world would be a great place. Like, everyone knows (laughs) the deep breathing stuff now to feel better or, you know, whatever other techniques that we use. And again, being regulated is good. Being able to regulate yourself in a setting where there's not going to be that space for you to maybe do what you need to do emotionally to develop because, uh, you know got to be somewhere in 10 minutes or like we're doing this activity in the classroom and you're being disruptive of other people like whatever it is but therapy is a space where they can do that and they don't have another space like that anywhere and that emotional development occurs with other emotions too sadness say a person can be sad and the adults in their life and other people in their life can always be subtly even, trying to take that sadness away from them, trying to make them feel better, trying to get them to have a different perspective on their sadness, trying to comfort them in a way that doesn't leave space for them to be sad and move through it and know that like, yeah, I can be sad and okay. Like I know what sadness is. I know my relationship to it. Fear is like that. Like you, I mean, you could go through any of them and then someone can just begin to have a relationship with their emotions generally where they avoid them or get stuck in them or you know whatever sorts of neuroticisms that begin to really harden and become part of our personality when we start to form more of an identity as teenagers and then become full-fledged 
neurotically developed adult. That experience of being able to have your emotion named, witnessed, you have the space to have it and move through it and come out the other side of it, that's emotional development. And what and the things that they experience with us in session give them more of an identity, give them more of a grasp on themselves, give them more of an experience of themselves as a person that's not angry. And someone could feel like less shame, like, oh, I'm not a bad kid. I'm way more complex than that. And I know that. And I'm starting to develop this identity that's outside of the, say, negativity I've experienced in the world in response to me, the anger I've experienced in response to me. And I think that's all I've got for this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It's uh, helpful. And yeah, see you next time.